What is best for farm workers? You know, there's been a lot of discussion, including here on this program, about what is the best thing for farm workers. There's an increasing awareness of these folks that are so important to our food system. The people that harvest a lot of the food that we eat, certainly it depends on what kind of food, right? I mean, there are, you know, machines that harvest our wheat, I suppose, you know, still farm workers driving the, the combine and the, and the truck to haul it to the elevator. And, but there's a lot of the food that we eat, our fruits and vegetables in particular, um, and we know a lot about that here locally as well, that take human hands to harvest and to grow and to prune and all of these things. A big issue has been what, what's best for those folks. Welcome back to The Farming Show. This is Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI. Best for them in terms of working conditions, in terms of pay. I mean, it's a job, right? Uh, but you want to be able to benefit from the work that you do, especially when the work that you do is so important and feeding the world. And that's been a subjective debate, of course, if we, as we've talked a lot about overtime here on the program and agricultural overtime, something that agricultural work, farm work was exempt from for de many decades in this state. And just in the last few years has, because of a court decision and a subsequent change in state law, has gone away. And now, as of the beginning of this year, um, we, we have no um, exemption for farm work. People who work in farming are eligible to receive, required to receive, uh, time and a half pay over 40 hours a week. And the argument is just like everyone else. But what is the actual upshot for the worker? We've talked a lot about that. We've had you know, clips from workers here on the program. I've shared a lot about that on the Save Family Farming YouTube channel. I've interviewed a lot of people. And the rollout has been less than stellar, shall we say. Uh, and it has resulted in people making a lot less money, they say, anecdotally. But what does the data really say? And a new study out... Uh, down in California, where they have also, granted they had a longer rollout, but they've also rolled out agricultural overtime, uh, removed their exemption for overtime. They're in roughly the same spot that we are now. The question is, did that rollout in California help farm workers? And in the first couple of years since that rollout, farm workers have, according to a new study from UC Berkeley, has seen a decrease in their average hours and wages. What does this all mean? Here to uh, unpack all of this is the professor behind the study itself. Allie Hill with the Department of Agriculture and Resource Economics at UC Berkeley joins us on the Farming Show this morning. Welcome to the program, Allie. And explain uh, first, you know, when we can get into the details and how you started on all this and, and more of the nuanced uh, information that you're digging up here. But first, what's the upshot that you're finding about the impact of agricultural overtime and, and the loss of that exemption down there in California? Hi, Dylan. Thanks so much for having me today. You bet. Uh, so we'll start off. Sure. We're just giving you a little overview of what I found. Uh, so the kind of cliff notes of it are that I'm seeing a reduction in working hours. So, so looking at um, the number of hours each worker is working within a work week. 
Um, so I'm seeing a reduction in hours pretty much consistent with how the overtime um, standard was phased in in California. So uh, this started in California in 2019 and basically de- the lowered the overtime hours threshold by five hours a week every year. So um, it, uh, prior to 2019, California actually already had overtime standards set at 60 hours a week. Right. So starting in 2019, that went down to 55 and then it went down to 50. Uh, now we're at 40. But the data that I'm using for that analysis only goes up to 2020. So just looking in those first two years, I basically see an increase in the proportion of workers who are working below those new thresholds, so below 50 and 55 hours a week. And we're seeing uh, very essentially equivalent reductions in the proportion of workers who are working around 60 hours a week. So there's been a reduction in hours. And then the, the headline from the press release that I looked at said wages as well. Now, when we talk about wages, does that mean a reduction in, it shouldn't be a reduction in their hourly rate, right? But a, a reduction in take-home pay. Right. So I'm actually doing some work now because economic theory would suggest that there might be some adjustment of wages um, to the extent possible. You know, we're bound by paying minimum wages. So right. um, adjustments are going to be relative to that. Mm-hmm. But anyways, the what I'm looking at in that particular paper is uh, weekly take-home pay. That's correct. And what I see there is really similar reductions in uh, essentially like the ranges in which uh, worker earnings are, are falling. So we're seeing decreases in the proportion of the workforce who are earning kind of higher amounts and increases in the proportion of the workforce who are, work, er, who are earning kind of like in the middle of the distribution of earnings. Which honestly, you know, if, if we're dealing in terms of uh, broad brush strokes, it kind of sucks because it's not going, it's not putting more money as a whole in farm workers' pockets, right? Is that what we're seeing here? Right. So that is what I'm seeing. And it's uh, pretty consistent with what you would expect from the perspective of an employer who's kind of bound by the prices that they receive from buyers, which I think is something that we don't really hear enough about. But mm. bu- buyers have no uh, mechanism by which they need to compensate employers who are paying their workers overtime. Uh, so as an employer, the most logical thing is to try to avoid paying that higher overtime rate. And thus it happens. Each person gets fewer hours and maybe more people are brought in. And do you have any, have you seen any data on that where, you know, given operations have more people working? Yeah. So I'm working on that analysis right now, uh, kind of a resounding theme. I've been working uh, with U.S. agricultural workers uh, since I started my PhD in 20, well, I guess a little bit after, we'll say I started in um, 2015, we'll say I started working with agricultural workers. And a resounding theme is that data issues everywhere. So if I compare across like five different data sets, I'll get estimates of the size of the crop workforce that range from 500,000 to yeah. 2 million, right? Yeah, totally. So so it's really hard to actually answer that question accurately. So I'm, I'm working on looking at the total employment effects. Uh, there's also other margins over which employers can adjust though, right? So you can hire more workers. Um, we've also been hearing reports of workers short, uh, too few workers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for many, many years. And so the extent to which they can actually adjust over that margin might be restricted. Uh, it might mean increases in the H2A program. So that's something I'm looking at right now. It might also mean, uh, you know, 
kind of uh, expediting our transition to a more um, to a less labor intensive agricultural operation. So mm. investing more in labor saving technologies. It could mean shifting to less labor intensive crops. It could mean some employers shutting down. Um, so there's, you know, different ways in which employers could be adjusting. And then kind of my next steps, well, I'm first trying to really car or really shed light on the impacts for workers. And then, then my next steps would be to look at what are the impacts for the employers. UC Berkeley assistant professor in the Department of Agriculture and Resource Economics, Allie Hill, is with us right now on the Farming Show here on KGMI. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Glad uh, you're with us this uh, Saturday morning and glad that Allie is here as well, even though the news isn't great for farm workers. Sadly, I, you know, I don't want to do a see I told you so, but this is what was predicted would happen with with agricultural overtime primarily because of the seasonality of the work is is your data showing that that's something that we've said for a long time with our advocacy here um i mean you mentioned already that farmers um with their unique place in the supply chain aren't able to pass costs along the way that many other business models are but also the, the other unique element is the, the, the seasonal nature of the work. Is there a way to quantify that or to show that with data, how, how that affects these kinds of decisions? So that's a really interesting question. Uh, it's, it, that's a little hard to answer with data because actually yeah. the survey I'm using is the National Agricultural Workers Survey. And one of the huge strengths of this survey is that it interviews workers at their place of employment. Because uh, it can be kind of hard to get a really accurate depiction of the agricultural workforce if we're doing household surveys, right? Based on you know where workers are living and all these things. So, uh, but that being said, they're of course going to target they they strategically target areas during their seasons where they're going to be employing people, right? So it's a little hard to capture things about seasonality in those data. But I think to your point, the reason that this is really salient in agriculture is because. We have a highly seasonal industry. A lot of these workers have historically wanted to work as much as they can during the harvest season, during the times of peak employment, and then they don't have to work so much during the off season. And so it, it's a very novel setting for that reason. Um, but yeah, it's a, again, kind of hard to speak to exactly with yeah. data. Well, and that's exactly what we've been hearing anecdotally. That's what I've lived and worked with people who have lived that way for a long time. It's kind of the ebb and flow that really follows a natural cycle in a lot of ways of, of Mother Nature. I mean, if you, if you want to get a little crunchy about it, I, I am uh, definitely down that path of that. That's what it is. You know, it, we see that in times of, of busyness and slow um, life and death and what happens with the, the, the natural world that we're growing this food in. Um, unlike a factory job that's 40 hours a week, you know, Monday through Friday, <laughs> eight to five or whatever it might be, it, it has a whole different flow to it and a different cycle and there are entire cultures built around that as opposed to um, our current urban culture that is much more around that factory-based mindset even though 
not as many people work in manufacturing anymore or anything like that, but it, it's still a model based around that that vision. Again, this is The Farming Show. I'm Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI talking with Allie Hill. She's down in California at UC Berkeley. Uh, she's a professor that has been studying agricultural overtime in California. Did, does ag overtime help farm workers? Well, in California, the data that she has is showing not necessarily. Uh, and it's not a great picture um what what do you do next i mean you're going to continue studying this does any of this point toward better solutions i know that's you know as a researcher that's not for you to decide but does that even come up um as as you work on this oh it certainly comes up and it's something i'm really striving to try to shed light on and it it's it's challenging, you know? So, I mean, I guess I can say my next steps in research are I'm looking at total employment effects because I think that's something that we miss if we're just looking at the currently employed workforce and how they're impacted. Um, I'm interested in and kind of trying to figure out how best to do a survey of workers that gets a accurate, uh, that can paint an accurate picture of how workers are how workers are perceiving the law, because I think some workers might value that extra free time more than they do the lost income. Right. But that's not the case for all workers, and I think it's important to understand, you know, what proportion of the workforce feels both ways, and then to go from there to try to figure out solutions. Because you know, really, the solution is we want workers who want to work more hours and make more money to be able to do so. And we also want the workers who don't want to do that to not, to not have to do that. Um, so I do think that this can open up conversation to hopefully eventually find some better, uh, some better working conditions for our agricultural workforce that are favorable on all sides. But yeah, right now it's not entirely clear how to go about doing that. You know, so like Oregon and New York State have tried this uh, subsidy program. I know that you said Washington State is thinking about, and when I was at Colorado State, uh, Colorado passed something with seasonality clauses. Mm -hmm. So those are those are some options that address um, the the single piece of it of if some workers want to work more so they can. But I I do think like in the long run we need to figure out how to create a system where workers get agency in in making that decision for themselves. Now, let's go back to the beginning uh, that we talked about. And overall, and again, your data is finding, we're talking with Allie Hill with UC Berkeley, studying the effects, the impacts on farm workers of the rollout of overtime that they've had down there. It hasn't gone exactly the same way as it has up here, but the, the impacts are at least what you're talking about from the data that you're gathering resonate um, and track with what has been happening, what we've heard anecdotally here in Washington state, as we've been on our own journey of this happening, you know, does this correlation prove causation? I guess would be a, a question that a skeptical person could ask just because people's hours have begun to show uh, changes that track in time with the rollout of these laws. Does that mean the the laws actually caused that? That is a great question. And to be honest, I'm as an economist entirely unconvinced that I can ever say causality happens with right. you know 100% confidence. But that said, I worked really hard on this analysis, and I've 
most recently brought in the next two years of data, uh, but I'm not allowed to share those results until they're made publicly available, uh, which is contingent on the government not shutting down. But anyways, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's there are some confounding factors in those first two years of data that I couldn't I don't think I'm fully addressing um, what mostly for the most part COVID. And um, the concern is that in, so I essentially am comparing uh, worker hours and earnings before and after the overtime legislation in California. I'm controlling for a bunch of uh, attributes of workers, the jobs they're working, all these things that might influence hours and earnings. And then I'm also comparing what happened in California with what happened in other states. So I'm using states with similar types of production. I also compare it with um, all other states in the U.S. Uh, and in my more recent work, I'm just comparing it with all other states that didn't pass overtime legislation in that period. And, you know, my results have been incredibly robust to everything I throw at it. And so, and after adding in the next two years of data, I can just tell you that it's a very similar story. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really don't think that, that there's that would any point toward causation. Yeah, I really don't think that there's anything else that would be causing, and in particular, how I'm seeing the reductions in hours are quite consistent with the the phase-in of the overtime thresholds, that it's really unlikely that something else is causing yeah. that. Well, and, and you know the, probably know the reason why I'm asking that question as well is because, you know, Bakersfield, uh, bakersfield.com, um, did some research on this or not some research, some coverage of, of this, of this study that you've done and got some reaction from civil rights icon Dolores Huerta, uh, co-founder of the United Farm Workers uh, Labor Union, along with Cesar Chavez, a name that probably a lot more folks know. She said the change in or earnings may result from global warming's negative impact on lo local agriculture production. She added that given how strenuous farm labor is, fewer hours spent working, uh, may be its own benefit. So first, you know, from what you're saying, you aren't seeing this being potentially a result from, uh, you know, a change in local agricultural production resulting from climate effects or any, I mean, is there even a way to, to track that for sure? Um, so it would be really unlikely if, if it, uh, if it really comes to it, I can certainly include climate control variables in the analysis. I think probably a better way to explore that claim would be to look at, um, well, do we see changes in total production that can actually explain yeah. these shifts in hours? Um, but I think given the, the very robust set of control yeah. variables I've included in this analysis, but I think that's quite unlikely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and you have touched on the other thing that she mentioned, which is, you know, farm labor is strenuous, you know, it's hard work and, and working few, fewer hours may be its own benefit. I think you've addressed that in that you're hearing in the course of doing this that some people, Hey, yeah, that's what they're about. Um, they don't necessarily want to put in the huge long hours, uh, and they're cool with that. Um, other people do because they want to maximize their earning potential. Yeah. And I think I'll just add that uh, one of my concerns is that for, for the people that do want those extra hours, one thing I'm hearing is that those workers are now starting to pick up a second job. 
And I think that that really negates a lot of the benefits to the overtime legislation, because now we would be adding extra commuting time for these workers. Uh, you know, shorter workdays can be or have been associated with fewer workplace injuries. But if we have someone actually adding more hours to their workday by picking yeah. up a second job, that could be totally negated. So I think all these things are really important to um it's a, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to get data to answer them all. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. hard to do. And, and it really takes, I mean, to get a clearer picture, you need a lot longer time horizon because, you know, you've already touched on the variables can can be all over the map as far as, you know, how much production this year versus next year and good crops and bad crops and good weather and this factor and that fa- factor and how to average over time. It, it takes time to do that. We thank you for your research. We're out of time to uh, chat with you uh, anymore this morning, but um, I'll be interested to continue to follow uh, your your research on this issue. Again, uh, with us this morning has been Allie Hill. She's assistant professor in the Department of Agriculture and Resource Economics down in UC Berkeley, studying the impacts of overtime uh, on farm workers and finding that it's reducing overall take-home pay in some cases, as well as a total number of hours worked, which would be no surprise that those two things can correspond. Allie, thank you for being with us here on the show this morning. Thank you so much for having me, Dylan.